right. So I think you've seen it. Oh, you got it. <laughs> Just took you a minute. Took you a minute. I don't know what's going on with that. That's all right. That's okay. <laughs> Gavin, you're hilarious. <laughs> all right. All right, well, welcome, everybody. Um, definitely been excited to, to dive into um, this this morning. Um, even in even in preparation, you know, thinking back over the past couple weeks that, of what we've had and, and going through the tabernacle, uh, this has been one that I've, I'm like, you know, even over the last, I think, 48 hours, there's just been some things that I've really had to wrestle with myself, even in my own life. And, uh, and working through some of those things, and, and remember one of the things we talked about with the brazen labor is that you don't want to go into serving the Lord with unclean hands. Um, and so making sure that your relationship with God is where it's supposed to be. So uh, it's been really neat to even kind of go back over these things and uh, put them into practice. I hope these things have been very helpful to you. Uh, if, it, if it hasn't, then you just really haven't been paying attention. And so my prayer this morning is that you have been, that you will pay attention to this morning and that you will take these things and really apply them to your life because these things can literally transform your life. So we're going to be talking about the holy place and uh, we talked about the outer court over the past couple weeks and in the holy place we're going to be talking about the table of showbread this morning. So go ahead and open up to Exodus 25. Exodus 25. And this is our main passage for the table, the Exodus 25. And we're going to talk about this table of showbread. And it starts in verse 23. So we get to Exodus 25 and verse 23. And as we kind of, again, as a little bit of review, um, this is our tabernacle we've been looking at. And we've been talking about the outer court area and how you have the door of the tabernacle. And then you have this piece right here. And what's this piece right here? Offering place. It is a place where you offer offerings. The brazen altar. The brazen altar, yes. And tell me the significance. What are some of the main things about the brazen altar that you remember from the lessons? Yeah. The, the people have to like bring their own animal and kill it themselves and do all the, the stuff themselves uh-huh. and burn it themselves. Like they're walked through it by a priest, but yeah. they still have to do it themselves to make sure that like they really are meaning to do this. Yeah, yeah, and whatever offering they're doing, whether it's a sin offering, a free will offering, a, you know, any any kind of the offerings that they outline in Leviticus, uh, they would have to do it themselves. What else? Yeah. It's a very messy spot of, like, yes. like, like the thing, because you, like, have to do all the yeah. gutting and stuff like that. Yeah, it would be an absolute mess, so which like is... the non-pretty part of the temple. Exactly. And what would that tell you? What, what's something that you can take spiritually about just that fact alone when it comes to dealing with your sin? Not your sin causes a mess, and you have to be willing to get dirty and actually deal with it. A lot of people don't. They just ignore it. They excuse it away. They pretend like, oh, well, you know, everybody, everybody well, at least I'm not as bad as that person. No, no, no. We're talking about something that is in a violation to God's character and who He is. And so you have to take it very, very seriously. But it's a messy deal. Anytime that you deal with sin, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a mess, and it's going to be uncomfortable. But are you going to want to walk with God or not? I mean, that's really the choice you got to make. Either you, you can you know, receive that atonement, and you can be God's, and you can be His, or not. And what are the consequences? I would much rather get messy now and deal with my junk and, and make sure that God and I are, are right and on the same page than to pretend like nothing's wrong, and then I die, and then spend eternity in hell, and then get sent to the lake of fire after my judgment. I'd much rather deal with things now. It's just like that passage in Philippians where it talks about that every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess to Jesus Christ that He is that He is God, that He is He is He is the the Savior, He is the Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And so you can either do that now, or on the day where it actually becomes reality, when you should have done it, now it's too late. It's too late now. And so God is is faithful enough with you and to love you enough to confront you with your sin now so you can deal with it. But most people just brush it off. But it's messy, it's difficult. What else about the brazen altar? Yeah. Um, that the fire burned forever and then also that it was covered in brass which is a picture of judgment yep and that fire being a picture of hell yes yep absolutely good what else yep it's like five cubits by five cubits mm-hmm. it's significant because the number five means death in the Right, exactly. So again, not fun, but it's also at what location of the tabernacle? 
at the door. At the door. So before you can even proceed further into the holy place, you kind of work your way into that part of the tabernacle, you have to deal with the brazen altar first. You have to. You have to. Or you just have no part with the Lord. That's really the only options that we have. All right, and then next, we talked about this. What was last week? Brazen labor. So this part right here, whether it was here or in the middle, I've seen it different. Even with the temple, uh, I've seen it in different places, but God told them to put it in between. So that's technically between, but it didn't really specify where at. But what's the significance of the brazen labor? Yep, yep, where the, and who would clean them? Like, the people. You had a 50-50 shot. <laughs> the priests. So the priests would do that. So at this point, this would be the priests only, um, and they would end up washing their hands and feet as they went back and forth into the holy place and also help to facilitate some of the stuff that's over here. Yep, good. What else? You can't go into the presence of God without being... Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we're all hypocrites, right? I mean, I think we have enough common sense and enough humility to say, yeah, we're still sinners. Even though you're born again and you're saved, you still make mistakes, don't you? I mean, if you haven't, then let me know your secret, because I <laughs> that would help me out like a lot. <laughs> no, we all make mistakes. And so what do we do when we make mistakes? Yeah, clean yourself up. Which, how do you do that, practically speaking? After getting saved, how do you clean yourself up? How do you restore fellowship with God? Repent. Go ahead. Repent. Repent. So recognizing that what you did was wrong, which is hard for some people to do, but recognizing what you did was wrong and, and really confessing that to who first? Come on. Risk being wrong. It's okay. <laughs> Come on. Think about it. If you've made a mistake, have you ever made it right with the Lord and other people? Has that happened in your life? Okay, then you know the answer to this question. <laughs> so, you recognize that you were wrong, and then you do what? You make it right with God first. You talk to the Lord first. Absolutely. And a great example of that is Psalm 51. What's the context of Psalm 51? Go ahead. Um, so David, uh, David stayed back. King David stayed back from war, and he wasn't supposed to. God told him he was supposed to go to war, and he stayed back anyway. And then while he was loitering around the, the castle or whatever. Yeah, yeah. He's loitering on his property? Wait, okay, whatever. Okay. He was selling candy bars and he was passing out tracks. And anyway. He saw a, a lady named Bathsheba uh, bathing on the roof and, he, and um, then he like requested to bring her to his house and they like did things and then <laughs> that's um, the G-rated version good yeah good um, and then he he realized that she was married and uh, well he knew that ahead of time oh he knew yeah okay. yeah yeah because yeah. um, yeah. Uriah was like his dude like he was one of the right. mighty men of valor yeah yeah so he calls Uriah uh, back uh, um, to try to get him to do things with his wife so that he could like blame the child on Uriah yeah and it doesn't work because Uriah is a good guy, and so he doesn't like, he wants to stay at war, keep fighting for his people. And then, um, so King David just basically puts him on the front lines and then he dies. Yes. And then, wow. That's good narration. And then, um, <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> And so yeah. Psalm 51 is like him realizing his sin and being super sad about having a broken and contrite heart. Yes. Okay. So in all of that, you can start to list all the things of where David went wrong. Who did David sin against? Okay. We'll talk about God in a minute. Who else? Uriah. Bathsheba. What's yours? Never. Oh, okay. They already said it. <laughs> yeah. Who else? Israel. 
Israel, the entire nation of Israel. What about his officers? Like when you think about it, like his officers knew what he was doing and David's like, yeah, go get her for me. I mean, they would have known everything that's going on. And they're like, but this is like God's anointed man. This is, how, what's, what's going on? I, okay, so all these things he's sinned against, I mean, so many different, so many different people, his own family, think about his own kids, think about, I mean, you start thinking about all the different people that he had offended and that he had sinned against. And so here you have in Psalm 51, what does it say in Psalm 51? Against, turn there. Hold your spot, Exodus 25. Psalm 51. This is super important. Super important. I know we're spending a little bit extra time with review, but this is important before we get into the holy place. Psalm 51. Tell me when you find it. It's in the first several verses. What is it? Against thee, the only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Who's he talking to? He's talking to God. And so, this is so important. I mean, this is something that, that I really wish that my heart would have understood more when I was in high school. When you sin, yes, you sin against other people. You sin against family. You sin against... There's, there, you can start making a list. And you have to go make things right. But if you don't recognize that your sin, first and foremost, offends God... First, if you're not willing to deal with Him first and go to Him and say, God, I was wrong. I, I sinned against you. You're going to that brazen labor and you're going to that brazen labor and you're, you're washing your hands. Like There might have been other things, but you're washing your hands and washing your feet. Unless you're willing to go to God first and say, God, I have sinned against you. You cannot properly restore relationships with other people. There's no way. There is absolutely no way. And so if you're not willing to admit to the Lord first and to really get down into the muck and mire of your offense with God, then you really can't properly restore relationships with other people. It's so easy for us to just, like I think about my kids where we force them to say they're sorry. We force them to say, I forgive you. And I don't know if they mean it or not. We're trying to set a pattern for them that they need to restore those relationships. But I want them to come to a spot where it's like, yeah, you did this to your sister. You did this to your brother. But you did this to God. You did this to the Lord. And so there's little things that we try to have to, to, to get into our thinking. And this one is a big one. This one's a huge one. And if you're not willing to deal with your sin before God, you can't really deal with it with other people. And that's the brazen labor, is, is washing your hands, washing your feet. I have no business coming up here and teaching the Bible if I had not talked with the Lord this morning about my heart. And making sure that, God, I am sorry for who I am. I am. I'm sorry for, for all these things. We're going to be talking about something that is incredibly important. And I am a sinner. And I want to make sure that I represent these things well. But it, it's, it's me and God first before I can ever make sure everything is right with others. And so you have to do that on a daily basis. Start getting into the pattern of doing that. It will help you out tremendously. Alright. Go back to Exodus 25. Alright. So now we're starting to get into the holy place. We're getting into the holy place. And this is the next part of the tabernacle. And I'll draw this up on the board so we can get it, but we're going to be talking about this table of showbread. Alright, so again, we've got our tabernacle here, and you've got your entrance here, you've got your brazen altar here, you got your brazen laver here, which is really big, but whatever. Okay, and then you've got your spot here. So this would be the holy place. We're going to be talking about this today. And so there's an entrance into the holy place. And then of course this is north, south, east, west. And this was always set up this way. Again, God's direction in the Bible is always east to west and also south to north. It talks about where God's throne is. It's in the north. That's why I'm a firm believer in, when it comes to the Bible. It talks about that His throne is in the north. The North Star is most likely the place where His throne actually is. If you were to be able to travel that far, I firmly believe that that's exactly where it is. And so He set this up on purpose. So now you have in the holy place, you have your table. You have your altar of incense, and then you have your 
candlestick, which is absolutely terrible. Okay. I know, I know. It's all my insecurities. And then we have our ark with the mercy seat up on top of the ark. So this is our entrance into the holy place. Now, um, when, we, when we take a look at the holy place, uh, and we saw that picture, which I'll show you the picture here real quick. Again, this holy place here is covered in curtains. Curtains. And so we're going to talk about this in the weeks to come. I think it might be next week we're going to be talking about the candlestick. But this is the only source of light in here. So when they would go in, pass into the curtains, into this holy place, it would be dark if it were not for this light. So this is the only light in the holy place. And then coming in here, there is no light other than God's presence. And we'll talk about the significance of that in weeks to come. But now they're coming into this spot. So again, going back, your sin is atoned for. And not only just the people that lived outside the tabernacle, but we're talking about the priests. The priests had to offer for their own sins as well. The high priest, before he would even enter into this place, had to make sure that his sin offering was offered, his hands were washed, and then he respected the Lord here. You have the altar of incense that you have here. So this is a process of really wanting to walk with God, that you have to deal with your sin. You must be born again. You must be born again. You must daily sanctify and wash your hands and your feet as they get dirty and deal with your sin. And now now you can enter into the holy place. This is such a beautiful pattern, beautiful pattern of being able to spend some real quality time with God. A lot of us as Christians, day in and day out, we just do our Christian thing. We memorize verses because we're supposed to. We read our Bible because we're supposed to. We pray because we're supposed to. And we have completely bypassed all this stuff and we think we can just dwell here and we get nothing from God. The reason why oftentimes we get nothing from the Lord in our walk with God is because we're either not born again, we're not washed, and then we show up here and we expect God to show us stuff. Like That's not how this works. You have to approach God on whose terms? God's terms, His terms, not yours. He is not a genie. You can just show up one day in your day of trouble, although He does, and He's good, and He's faithful. But you can't expect Him to just show up just because you need Him in a moment of bad decisions that you've been making for years. I mean, if it's a, if it's a place of true brokenness and repentance, you think God's, I mean, He's all for it. But there's a lot of people that, that they only worship God, they only follow God when it's convenient for them, when it meets their needs, when it helps their goals. When it comes to God, that's not how it works. When you follow the Lord, His goals become your goals. His plans become your plans. And your goals, your plans, your conveniences go out the window. Because you're His. So we have to treat God this way in our relationship. We need to stop taking advantage of the grace of God and approach Him on how He wants to be approached. So, if you're not saved today, get saved. If you don't know how, talk to a leader, talk to a friend, talk to somebody. Secondly, if you've got sin in your life, deal with it. Don't wait. Forgiveness and grace is always available, but deal with it. How can you expect God's blessing upon your life and for you to walk with God and for Him to teach you and to talk with you and for you to hear Him and for you to experience what it means to really walk with God if you're never willing to admit that you're wrong and make things right with God and other people. And oftentimes, here's what happens. We pretend like everything's fine until everything just explodes because of sin that we've not been willing to deal with for years. That happened in my life. It'll happen in yours, I promise you. So deal with it so you can actually walk with God. There is no greater place to be with the Lord than here and here. And I'm telling you, you will fall in love with God more and more and more if you learn how to spend time with Him here and here. It will transform everything about your relationship with God. All right. That's our sweet introduction. All right, so, all right, so the table of showbread. Let's work through this real quick, and then we'll get to some of our spiritual truths for our admonition and learning. All right, so Exodus 25. Let's read this real quick, and then we'll go through this um, item by item. All right, Exodus 25, verse 23. 
Okay, thou shalt also make a table of shittim wood. Two cubits shall be the length thereof, and cubit and the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, and make thereto a crown of gold round about. And thou shalt make unto it a border of an handbreadth round about, and thou shalt make a golden crown to the border thereof round about. And thou shalt make for it four rings of gold, to put the rings in the four corners that are on the four feet thereof. Over against the border shall the rings be for the places of the staves to bear the table or to carry it. And thou shalt make the staves of shittim wood and overlay them with gold, that the table may be borne with them. And thou shalt make the dishes thereof and spoons thereof and covers thereof and bowls thereof to cover with all of pure gold shalt thou make them. And thou shalt set upon the table of showbread before me always, 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 always. Okay. All right. So let's work through this. All right. So here's your picture. Let's work through this real quick. I had to go back. All right, so here's the picture, and it's on your guys' study sheet as well. But you have this table, and it's made of gold. It's shit of wood, and then it's overlaid with gold. And you have your four legs. Here are the rings by the legs that they can put the staves through in order to carry it from place to place when God's presence moves from one spot to the next. And they are supposed to have on the table these uh, loaves of bread, six and six, and it was supposed to be there always, always. And there's a crown round about. This is the only thing, um, this is the part that's really unique about this table is it has this crown round about it. So that's your picture there. Okay, so the table, the rings, and the staves were overlaid with pure gold. So that's your first blank, gold. So the table, the rings, and the staves were overlaid with pure gold. Now we've moved from brass to gold. From judgment now to this picture of holiness and divinity and things of high value, gold. And everything at this point inside the holy place and the most holy place are either made of, of gold completely or it's overlaid with gold. Secondly, the table had a crown of pure gold uh, round about the border. This crown of gold around the border. The table's furnishings, thirdly, were made of pure gold. They were to be made of pure gold. Again, there's gold again. The table was set northward in the tabernacle. So that's the fourth one. Northward. The table was set northward in the tabernacle. And here's a verse for that one, Exodus 40, verse 22. And he put the table in the tent of the congregation upon the side of the tabernacle northward without the veil. Without the veil meaning this right here. This is called the veil. Northward without the veil on this side. Again, that's the side facing where God's presence actually is. So that's really cool. And then, next, the table was to always have showbread, that's the, the term, showbread on it, and refreshed every Sabbath. All right, give me a volunteer to read Leviticus 24, 5 through 9. Leviticus 24, 5 through 9. Who wants that one? All right, go ahead and you can take it. Okay. So the table was to always have showbread on it and it is to be refreshed every Sabbath. Let me show you these two verses. And thou shalt set upon the table showbread before me always. So it's supposed to always be there. And uh, that's the verse we had just read. And in Exodus 40, verse 23, And he, Moses, set the bread in order upon it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. All right, and listen to Leviticus 24, 5 through 9. And thou shalt take flour, and bake twelve cakes thereof. Two tenth deals shall be in one cake. And thou shalt set them in two rows, six on one row, upon the pure table before the Lord. And thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row, that it may be on the bread for a memorial, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord continually, being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. And it shall be Aaron's and, and his sons, and they shall eat it in the holy place, where it is most holy unto him of offerings of the Lord made by fire by a perpetual statute. Okay, very specific. So what did you notice about hearing from Leviticus? What were some of the details? Frankincense is in there. Where else do you find frankincense in the Bible? Yeah, as a present to Jesus. Huh, how about that? Jesus! That's a Sunday school answer. Uh, Jesus? Yeah. <laughs> hey, you win. Nothing. Okay. Yeah, there's that one. What else did you notice? 
You can even cheat and look at your picture in your study sheet too because it tells you exactly all that stuff too. Two rows of six. That's right. When was it supposed to be refreshed? Every Sabbath. And it's supposed to be before God? Always. 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 And who's supposed to eat it? Aaron and his sons, the priests. Okay? So that means that they would eat of these loaves, and then that bread's supposed to be before God always, so they would have to refresh it at least every Sabbath. I mean, because you think about him and his sons, they probably would have consumed at least all of those loaves of bread in one day, I would imagine. I mean, they're boys. Right? <laughs> Some of you guys eat, like, tons. All right? <laughs> so they would have done that every single Sabbath, but probably every single day. But that was bread for them in order to sustain them. And think about this for a second. When they would go in there, what would they have to do? They would have to clean. They'd have to be clean before they would eat of that bread. All right? So you get in the picture so far. Okay. All right. Very good. And then, lastly... Under the table of showbread, the table's height was the same as the brazen grate and the mercy seat. And so I'll just show you these verses here real quick. Uh, you've got Exodus 27, verses 1 and verse 5. And thou shalt make an altar of shittim wood, five cubits long, five cubits broad. The altar shall be four square, and the height thereof shall be three cubits. That's talking about this here. So the height of that is supposed to be three cubits, five by five, this brazen altar. And then verse 5, And thou shalt put under the compass of the altar beneath, that, it, that the net may be even to the midst of the altar. Halfway in between. Midst. And what's half of three? 1.5. <laughs> I know it's Sunday morning. I know you're not in school, but we can get this one. All right. 1.5. All right. Everybody got that? All right. Everybody say 1.5. Good job. You can follow some instructions. All right. Good. Okay. So there's that one. And then take a look at this. The ark. And Bezalel made the ark of shittim wood. Two cubits and a half was the length of it. A cubit and a half the breadth of it. And a cubit and a half the height of it. That's talking about this here. And he made the table of shittim wood two cubits high. Two cubits was the, the length thereof, and a cubit and the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. God doesn't make any mistakes. So the same height as this grate in the middle of this is the same height of this and is the same height of this. That means they're connected. They're connected. God doesn't just do things willy-nilly. He does that on, on purpose. And we're going to talk about that. All right? So it's very important. Okay. All right, so let's move on. Spiritual truths for our admonition and learning. So let's kind of hit this one, all right? <clears throat> These first ones are pretty, pretty simple. So first of all, pure gold represents divinity, holiness, and things of high value. This, is, this should be a no-brainer. When you start hitting Revelation 21, we won't go to these verses, but in Revelation 21, when God remakes the heaven and the earth, what does He make everything of? As far as New Jerusalem. Gold. Gold and it's pure gold, like glass. And so, when God, God's presence is involved with it, it is gold. Gold always represents God's presence, and that's why when He set this up, you have brass, brass, gold, 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 because you're getting closer into God's presence. Judgment, judgment, now into God's presence. This is always the picture that you see in the scriptures. So, gold almost always represents God in the Bible, His divinity. And that's why all these items up to this point forward are either made of gold or they're overlaid with gold. And when people looked upon it, who would they think of? God. I mean, one of the first things, when Jerusalem was sacked by the Romans, what did they do? Anybody know that story? In 70 AD? They destroyed the temple, but why? Because it was a reminder. Okay. They didn't like God, but why else? They wanted the gold. There's gold between those stones. So they ripped apart the stones of that temple and they melted the gold down and they took it. That gold belonged to God. That was the representative of God. And so when you look at that, I mean, that was God. Now when the world sees it, they see money. But when God looks upon it, He's like, I want my stuff made of gold because it represents me. There's nothing more valuable at that point in time in history than those things. Okay, so there's that one. Um, the second point, a crown, the crown around the table, it indicates royalty and authority. It always does in the Bible, right? I mean, when you think about a crown, it's always, it always indicates royalty and authority. And so this thing, this table has authority. It has something about it that's very, very special. And that's why your blank is Jesus Christ. 
This is a representation of Jesus Christ. Give me three readers. 1 Timothy 3.16. Okay, one. Uh, John 10.30. Two. And then Gavin, take 1 John 5.7. A crown indicates royalty and authority, and this is a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. All right, go ahead, Sam, whenever you're there. 1 Timothy 3.16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Okay, very important verse in your Bible. Probably one of the most strongest verses in your Bible to prove that Jesus was God. In a lot of newer translations, they completely malign this verse. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. God became a man. This is Jesus. All right, John 10.30. I and my Father are one. I and my Father are one. He spoke about that openly. Jesus said, me and the Father, we're one. And then 1 John 5.7. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Okay, so does Jesus have authority? You bet He does. Is He the King of kings and Lord of lords? You bet he is. And so this table represents Jesus Christ. And what a beautiful picture, too, because Jesus is the bread of life. He called himself that in John chapter 6. He says, I am that bread of life. I am the bread of life. So it makes sense that this table would represent him in absolutely every single way. Which, by the way, think about this, remember? Who represents all the sacrifices here? Who fulfilled all the sacrifices of the Old Testament? Jesus did. What's that height of the great here? 1.5, right? One and a half. One and a half cubits. What's the height of the table here? 1.5 cubits. That's right. It's not a coincidence. They're connected. They're absolutely connected. And Jesus is the bread of life. So that showbread would always be upon that table. All right, point number three. The Bible is how God... God communicates, not God's communicates. That sounds weird. The Bible is how God communicates to us, and He will preserve it. He'll preserve it. Let's take a look at two verses on this one. Go to Luke 16. Luke 16. Luke 16. I want you to see this one. This one's really good. Rich man and Lazarus. You guys know this one, right? Both die. The rich man goes where? Hell. Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom. Again, this is the center of the earth. And this gets into some other doctrine. When Old Testament saints died, they did not go to heaven yet. That was after Jesus Christ died and, and resurrected and ascended. And then that took place. But before then, it was in a place in the center of the earth called Abraham's paradise. Or Abraham's bosom. And it was often referred to as paradise in the Old Testament. So now you have the rich man on one side. And you have Lazarus on the other side. And so now, it says in verse... 26, and beside all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from then. So there's no way to cross over and go from that side of hell to the side of Abraham's bosom. Then look what the rich man says. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him, him. Who's him? The rich man speaking. Who's he talking about? Lazarus, okay? So I pray, therefore, Father, he's talking to Abraham, that thou wouldest send Lazarus, him, to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Look what Abraham says. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. This is very important. I mean, this is majorly important. Who did Jesus raise from the dead? Lazarus. Lazarus. Do you think Lazarus went and talked to people about what happened to him and his testimony and what he saw? You better believe it. In fact, it says that his testimony was so strong, not only did the Pharisees want to kill Jesus, they wanted to kill Lazarus because of his testimony. But what did Abraham say? What is more powerful than Lazarus' testimony? Moses and the prophets. The scriptures. 
Abraham said, if they're not even willing to believe what's already here, they're not going to believe even if someone rose from the dead and showed up at their doorstep. We need to change how we think. We do. Do you have confidence enough that if you were to open up your mouth and share God's word with people, that it's enough? It should. It absolutely should. It was more powerful than Lazarus' testimony. And now, let me, and here's my point of making this, this point and really spending a little bit more time on it. If the word of God is that important and God goes back to the table of showbread, it's supposed to be before me always, always, then will God keep his word intact? Will he preserve it? Absolutely. Absolutely he will. For sure, 100%. And I love this point too, because similarly thinking about this, uh, you know, we're born again by Jesus Christ, and God went through great lengths in order to preserve the seed of Jesus, right? For him to actually be born and, and be in Israel, be a part of the tribe of Judah, and to die for our sins, all that stuff. Satan was trying to get after it. I mean, he was trying to kill off Israel throughout the entire Old Testament, and God preserved the seed. He preserved that seed. He preserved that seed. Well, for us today, how are we born again? How are we born again? How do you get saved? I'll give you a verse. Yeah, there's that one. Romans 10, 13. Romans 10, 17. What's Romans 10, 17? It starts with the word and. You know that one yet? Oh, okay. And faith. Yes. Hearing by the word of God. Hearing by the word of God. That we're born again. I forget if it's 1 Peter or 2 Peter. By not corruptible seed, but incorruptible, the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. It's the word of God. People are born again by the word of God. Jesus is called the word of God. He is the word of God. So if God would go through great lengths to preserve the physical seed of Jesus so we could be born again, do you not think that he would go through great lengths to preserve his written word by which we are born again and have faith? Absolutely. And that's why he says this bread is supposed to be on the table always. Always. Always, it's always supposed to be there. It's always supposed to be there before me, and it is for you, the priests, and your sons, in order to consume to have sustenance. It's really cool. All right, next point. The Bible's 66 books contain all the bread we need for life and godliness. The Bible's 66 books. Remember two rows of six, right? You have one row of six, another row of six. I'm sure it's such a coinky dinker that we have 66 books in our Bible. You know, that's just whatever just happens that way. No, I mean, God knew what was going to unfold. Most of the Bible isn't even written at this point. And God writes in Exodus by the hand of Moses and in Leviticus, put six and six. And then here we are, a couple thousand years later, and we've got 66 books in our Bible. Huh. Hmm. Oh, that just happened by happenstance. No, God knew what he was doing. You have 66 books in your Bible, and that is absolutely amazing to me. I love that. I love that. Each day, God provides bread for us to consume as we minister on his behalf. Every day, every day, God has given you bread, the word of God, Jesus, in order to consume him, the word of God, in your life to give you sustenance, to give you everything that you need, for making sound, godly decisions in every single single circumstance. I'm telling you, I don't care what's going on in your life. Give me the circumstance. You can open up the Bible and find what you need. It, I'm telling you, many people may not believe this. It is absolutely true. If you're going through something, you're dealing with something, there is a spot in your Bible somewhere that will give you exactly what you need to make good, sound, godly decisions. Now, here's the side of it that most people don't even want to do. Do you know where? How do you know where? How do you figure that out? You could read the whole thing, yeah. Study the Bible. Okay, so do you know how to study the Bible? I hope you do. If you don't know how to study the Bible, how do you, how do you figure that out? Discipleship's one. If you finish discipleship and you've not learned how to study your Bible, then something went wrong. You should have someone that you can go to to say, I need to figure out how to dive into the Scriptures. Can you do that? Can you take your Bible today 
and say, okay, I know I can take my Bible and I can open up to this passage, that passage in order to deal with this struggle that I'm having. I know that I can have an opportunity with my friend who is lost and I can go to this passage and this passage and I can show them what God says on how to be born again. I know that when I'm struggling in my heart and in my mind with certain temptations, with this or that or the other, or I'm struggling with my parents, I can turn to this spot in my Bible and I know that what it says here. Can you do that? You should be able to do that. This is not some sort of a religious exercise where, you know, a lot of people, they just go to church in order to make themselves feel good. Like, this is a real deal. This is stuff that you need every single day. And so if you don't know how to navigate your Bible, you need to figure it out. That is one of the big accomplishments that we have in discipleship. One of the big goals that we have, we want you guys to be able to do that by the time you're finished in order to navigate those things. And then... The last point here, the bread continually reminded the priest about his calling. About his calling. The bread continually reminded the priest about his calling. Alright, I need, for this point, I need four volunteers that can consume bread. <laughs> I have to say that now. Because we might have a crazy allergic reaction. All right, Carson's one. Okay, Gavin. All right, how about two ladies now? We got two guys, two ladies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Andy would say your hair would be a good one. All right, Alana with one. <laughs> All right, come on, don't be shy. Okay, Emily. All right. All right. So you guys are going to stand up front. Okay. <laughs> What now? Uh, sure, it's made of grains. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do a little bit of an experiment for you. All right, Hannah, is it? Maybe. Okay, there really you are. Yes. And there you are. You get two pieces of bread each. Oh, I know, right? How about those apples? How about them pieces of bread? It is wheat bread. <laughs> I didn't do anything to it where it's like you're going to get sick or whatever. Alright, there's numero uno. There's numero dos. There you go. Okay. Alright, so what can you tell me about? What's the differences between those two? Yeah. What can you say? What other observations do you have, Carson? There you go. Alright, good, good. Gavin? Uh... <laughs> it is bread. That's that's a great observation. I'm really proud of you. Um, all right, Emily, what else you got? The colors dark. Okay. All right. So, which are you more apt to eat? Which one would be more delicious to you? <laughs> the softer one. All right. Why is that? Okay, so you're worried about crumbs. Okay, there you go. All right. I don't like bread that's like super, super crunchy. Okay, yeah, so the crunch. Yeah, it's weird. And plus, you don't even know how long it's been sitting out, right? There's no jam on it. There's no jam. Yeah, in order for it to actually be something that you want to consume, you got to put something on it. But the other one, yeah, you could just eat bread and it would be completely fine, right? Emily, what other, what other thoughts you got? Okay, all right. So go ahead and take a bite of the one that is the hard one. Uh, <laughs> okay. How is it? Is it okay? No. It's all right? Okay, I should have let it sit out longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do you notice about it as you're trying to eat it? It's so dry. <laughs> yes, yes. No. It's really good bread. Yeah, go ahead and take another bite if you want to. All right. Any other observations? Super dry. You wish you had jam. You thought there was butter on it, but there's no butter. <laughs> what else? What else you got, Carson? <laughs> Gavin didn't have breakfast. <laughs> He's going to start eating everyone else's bread. <laughs> <laughs> it is far too dry to eat with my hands. Yes, far too dry. The dryness is an excess. Yeah, there you go. There. <laughs> yeah. Gavin's like, beggars can't be choosers, right? He offered me bread. I'm taking it. All right. Now, go ahead and take a bite of the other piece. 
All one by. All right. So what are the differences? Let's go down the line. We'll start with Emily. Go this way. I feel like I taste more of it. Like it tastes much better. Okay. What do you got, Gavin? It was all 9,000 taste buds. 9,000 taste buds. You have 9,000. It's from a song. Well, then it must be right. <laughs> he, yeah, he found it on the internet, so it must be right. Okay. Carson, what's your observation? Um, it's, 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 it's a little bit more moist, I guess. Yeah, more moist. And people love that word, moist. I love using that word. This bread is moist. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> uh, the softer ones like a bit easier to eat. Yes. 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 Okay. Awesome. All right. Have a seat. Okay. Thank you. Give him a hand. Yeah, you can throw it away. All right. So, here's my point. Here's my point. Each and every Sabbath. Each and every day, this bread was supposed to be fresh. It was supposed to be fresh. Fresh. Every day. Let's draw some conclusions here between that illustration and your time in the Word of God with Jesus, the bread of life. Apply it. I'm going to have you guys work a little bit. What are some applications? Soft heart. Okay, got to have a soft heart. That's good. Yeah. Bread's supposed to be fresh every day. You gotta every day be in your Bible, having that relationship and God. Yes, and we often talk about how our relationship with God can become stagnant, stale. There's no moisture in our relationship with God. How exhausted do you get eating a piece of hard toast without any? toppings on it whatsoever. No jam, no butter, nothing to dress it up with. <clears throat> a lot of people in their relationship with God, it's stale. It's, it's just, there's nothing there. Like, it's, it's broken. There's, and so they have to do things in order to make it exciting. They have to do things in order to liven it up a little bit. Are you kidding me? Okay, well then you're not even approaching this the right way. Because every single day, God is providing you with fresh bread. When you open up the Word of God, there is nothing. Oh my gosh, I love eating fresh bread straight out of the oven with just a little bit. I'll put a little bit of butter on it. But it's warm. I mean, there's nothing like it. Especially, I love sourdough. Sourdough is just absolutely amazing. I love sourdough bread. But I'm telling you, there's nothing like it. It is like, oh my gosh, I could eat this entire loaf. But then you have bread that's sitting out. Might be crusty. Might be moldy. What do you do with it? You throw it away. You throw it away. It's a waste. It sat around far too long and it wasn't used. God gives you bread every day. Every single day. And it is fresh every day. And if you let it sit around and let it get dry and let it get moldy, you won't consume it. You won't spend time with God. What else? Any other observations? Yeah. Don't toast your Bible. Don't toast your Bible. Great advice. Great advice. I have no idea how that will benefit anyone in this room, but great advice. All right, awesome. Moving on. <laughs> yes? Um, one of, I don't know who, one of them said that like the toast was like bland. Yes. Like if you don't refresh it, like there's not going to be much to it. It's just going to be like yeah. bland. Yes. And here's the thing when it comes to that. We'll, we'll, here, okay. So this never changes, right? But yet for some people, this is like, oh my gosh, did you, God taught me this. I read this verse, and He taught me this. It was amazing. And other people are like, okay. What's the difference? What makes the difference? It's the same black and white words on the page. What makes the difference? Your heart attitude. It always comes back down to your heart attitude. Every single time. God is faithful. He's willing to meet with you. It's right there. It's your heart. Your heart is the problem. When my walk with God is an issue, it's because of me. It's because of my heart attitude. It's never because of the Lord. God is always faithful to me. All right, what else? Yeah, Emily. Don't be content with eating the bread. Yes. Do not be content with eating the stale bread. I mean, it's sustenance and it'll get you through, but oh my gosh, it's hard to stomach. It's hard to eat. It's dry. It's gross. It's like, ah, I'm not supposed to eat this. It's like when you eat health food. 
and it's like, okay, this is totally health food. I can just taste it. I know it's good for me, and that's the only reason why I'm consuming it. It's kind of like that. All right. <laughs> like some spiritual gifts, like how they can be applied. You said like how they, like being thrown away. Mm -hmm. God gives us the same like opportunities. But yeah. If we let it go stale and we throw it away, we're throwing away spiritual gifts that can Absolutely. help other people and yep. our church and ministry. Yep. Yep. How oftentimes do you not get in the Word of God and that day God wanted to give you something that you were going to use with somebody else? Have you ever thought about that? Your lack of discipline and commitment to the Lord and not getting into the Scriptures, you have missed one spiritual truth that God wanted you to use in a conversation with a friend that day or with your own heart or with your family. I've thought a lot about that. A lot about that. All right, any other observations? Yeah. I like with all the problems that when you do try to eat the stale bread, you're like losing half of it, mm -hmm. half of what you had. Like, <coughs> like the word's not as beneficial anymore. Yeah. It's yeah, it's just not the same. It's not the same. So think about that. I mean, think about that. That's a, just a very simple illustration, but I hope that really kind of sticks in your mind. Because the bread should be fresh every day. Because your ministry is supposed to be fresh every day. And as you walk with the Lord every day, there's always something new to learn. There's always something new to, to, to meditate on, to ponder, to obey, and to minister to others. But if you never spend time with God, if you never, if you never go back to the gospel knowing that you're born again, if you're never washing your hands and feet, then you'll never come in here and consume of this fresh bread that God wants you to have in order to minister unto other people. It's just never going to happen. It's never going to happen. Okay. That's the table of showbread. All right, next week we're going to be talking about the candlestick. My wonderful picture. I'll try to work on it a little bit this week. No promises, though. I'll probably rely more on the illustration on your guys' study sheet than anything else. But again, a very important one next week as well. Every piece of this is very, very important. All right, let's close with prayer. God, thank you again for today, for giving us what we need. And uh, I pray that we'd be faithful. And God, I am sorry for my own shortcomings and the things that I, I do that are offense uh, to you. And so I pray, God, that we would uh, be willing to deal with our sin and to really enter into your presence with an expectant heart, uh, that we'd be able to partake of that fresh bread, that we would not be letting it become moldy or stale, that we would always want to have a good relationship with you as we live in this world. The moments that you give us each day are not a mistake. Uh, they are supposed to be used wisely. And the people that we're around, we're not guaranteed tomorrow with them. Or we're even not guaranteed tomorrow for our own lives. So help us to be faithful with what you've given us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.